This is the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media. We provide business professionals with insights and ideas for protecting their people from the vast array of threats facing organizations today. Each week, you'll hear advice and best practices from an experienced safety leader. Welcome to the show. Hey, listeners, I'm Katie Gowen, senior producer of the show. I'm thrilled to fill in for Peter this week while he takes a well-deserved holiday break. I'm here because those of us behind the scenes at the Employee Safety Podcast rarely get a chance to tell you how much we appreciate you. So I wanted to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the show and for being a part of our safety community, or safety squad, as we like to call it. If we've learned anything this year, it's that the roles of safety and security professionals are hard, and they keep getting harder as a threat landscape intensifies. If you've been listening for a while, you know that our guests are organizational leaders and subject matter experts in their fields. The advice, best practices, and lessons learned they provide on the show range from business continuity and resilience to emergency preparedness and response and everything in between. So hopefully their insights have helped you tackle some of the many challenges you've faced on the job this year. To close out 2022, we compiled a little recap of some of our favorite tips and trends from this year's guests to help set you up for success as you head into 2023. Let's get started. Training and cooperation are key aspects of safety at Six Flags, the American Amusement Park Corporation. Their parks operate as cities within cities, and the organization must remain self-sustaining when disaster strikes. For more on that, here's Jason Freeman, Corporate Vice President of Operations, Public Safety, Maintenance, and Engineering. It sounds cliche, but we really do. We really do believe it. You know, safety is is the foundation of everything we do. And every employee, whether you're a part of public safety or not, has a very important role to play into that. And we just do a lot of training uh, and education and programs and things to ensure that our team is ready to handle any type of crisis that can happen at any level too. So we have very tried and true procedures for disaster planning and active shooter and all those things, but we just don't rest on, hey, we have a policy. We actually, every year, each park does multiple types of training and drills and that type of thing, working with our outside resources, our partners from government agencies, such as fire to police, Homeland Security, FBI, you name it, we deal with them usually because when you have that many people coming through your property, again, we are a city within a city. So we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared that if we operate in an area where there are tornadoes and a tornado hits a community, well, we might have to be self-sustaining until resources get to us because they're tied up handling what's happening in the community and depending on what their level of availability is. So we prepare to ensure that we can handle ourselves for the time frame that we think we may need to. And so our guests can and our team members can come either to work or play and know that they're in a safe environment. Whataburger is a beloved quick service restaurant chain headquartered in Texas, and it keeps community support at the core of its crisis management strategy. Whataburger senior emergency manager, Ron Derrick, shares how the company showed up for Texans during Hurricane Harvey. To me, this is an excellent example of an organization going above and beyond when it comes to emergency response. 
one uh, incident that I wanted to uh, to talk about real quick was during Hurricane Harvey. When Hurricane Harvey came across the coastline around Rockport, it devastated that small town. We have a unit in Rockport and it knocked the power out and it didn't damage the building. But we were able to bring a generator in and we uh, hooked the generator up to that building and we were able to reopen that business in a couple days. But we weren't making money. We were providing free meals to the responders. We were providing free meals to the community and the electrical crews so they could make sure this community was put back together. They didn't have any hot food anywhere. And so we were able to provide that. One other story is here lately, uh, the city of Laredo went through about a 10-day period of no water. Can you imagine a a city as large as Laredo without any water? Well, we were able to, to go into there with our, we have Whataburger water bottles, and we had pallet after pallet after pallet of Whataburger water bottles that we were able to provide to the community. And we love to spread that pride, care, and love wherever we are, whether it's uh, regular time or whether it's disaster time. Whataburgers have been known to be the beacon in the night of the storm to fill the mission of serving that community during a disaster. And we know that we have to get those units open because those communities are relying on us. And they know if Whataburgers open, well, things are going to be okay. Top-rated grocer HEB empowers employees to prepare for disasters. The company utilizes training and communication to support their employees wherever they are, at a store, at home, or even in their everyday lives. Director of Emergency Preparedness Justin Noakes joined the show to share exactly how HEB serves partners, customers, and communities. Number one goal is always take care of the health and safety of our partners. And so whenever we look at anything in any of our processes and any of our procedures, response capabilities, is how do we make sure that our employees are safe during a disaster, make sure that they're prepared for disasters, both at work and at home. And so I think that our focus over the last year, especially with COVID, COVID kind of pushed our comfort level to really reach out to make sure that our employees were taken care of personally at their homes. And so not only is it important that they know what to do when a disaster or an emergency incident strikes at work, but it's also important that they know what to do whenever they have a disaster at their home. And so that education process, that equipping them with the information that they need to be successful is a big part of our our success factor. But also focusing on some of the emerging threats in the community Switching gears a little bit, over the past year, we've seen the umbrella of employee safety extend beyond physical security in EHS. Today, psychological safety, mental health, and diversity, equity, and inclusion are all important parts of the conversation when it comes to keeping employees safe. These critical aspects of employee safety have a direct impact on an organization's ability to attract and retain employees. Here's Dr. Tracy Brower, sociologist and author of The Secrets to Happiness at Work, discussing the talent revolution we experienced this year. 
talent revolution is not going away anytime soon. It is significantly driven by demographics. And so we are going to be in this talent crunch for no less than five years, according to many of the economists that I've been paying attention to. You may, you may be paying attention to different economists. That's cool too. But in general, we know the talent revolution is here to stay for a good while. And the other thing that we know is that when we attend to the well-being of people, we see this payoff for the business. So I like to say you can do it for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, right? Like you can do it for really good reasons. We care about people. We respect people. We want to treat people as whole individuals. Or maybe you just care about the business benefits and getting the result for goodness sake. And then it's a good idea too. So I think it's here to stay. I think it's a trend that will last. And I think that it has enough payoffs for both people and business that it will be something that remains central and remains strategic for business. Speaking of attracting and retaining talent, Jen Lim believes it goes beyond management and compensation. Jen is the CEO of Delivering Happiness. The company was created to develop happier company cultures for a more profitable and sustainable approach to business. Here's Jen. I think in the past, it's definitely the manager, like the immediate boss. And then with the advent of you know COVID and, and now the great awakening slash resignation, pay is definitely one of them, but also a sense of control, a sense of autonomy, because we now have a better sense of what it means to lose that autonomy. And that's actually one of the scientific levers of happiness is to make sure we have a sense of control within our lives. And the other element is definitely higher purpose. It's like when we had so much time to think about, are we really spending our minutes most meaningfully? Are we really living a legacy we want to leave? Then people are like, no, I don't think I am. And it doesn't have to be some highfalutin purpose, but it has to come back to Am I being true to who I am, my own core of what I believe in and living up to that on a day-to-day basis? So people will see it and feel it, not just when I leave, but how I live my life now. That value alignment, the sense of being your authentic self at work, it's a critical component of successful diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. Vanessa Matthews is Chief Resilience Officer at Asphalus Advisors and host of the Business Resilience Decoded podcast. She mentions how organizations are making progress, but it's slow going. There's also a few data points that I think is pretty helpful for this audience. So McKinsey put out a study and it shared that Black employees are overrepresented in frontline and underrepresented in leadership. And so when we think about, well, what are some of the challenges that Black and Indigenous people of color might be facing within the workplace? There's three things that continuously come up. One is acceptance, two is authenticity, and the third is values. And so looking at those three components, what we're seeing is there's a trust deficit with minorities, specifically BIPOC communities within the workplace. And so to answer your question about themes and things that we're seeing in the workplace, I would kind of boil all of this down to we're seeing that risk and security lack in diversity as an industry. We're having a really hard time with moving the needle. Secondly, our progress is very slow overall. And thirdly, there's challenges when we talk about responsibility versus accountability and how do we hold organizations and leaders up to a standard so that we can continue to see the change that we want to see. 
So how do organizations signal value alignment and maintain employee trust? Well, as Alert Media's CEO, Christopher Kennessy shares, it's about communication and living your core values. The Edelman Trust Barometer revealed just this year in 2022 that uh, 77% of employees say they trust information from their employer, and that's over 20% more than they trust the media or the government. Wow. I think that's pretty a fascinating statistic that, you know, I think there's a lot of noise in the media nowadays. And so to look at that trust barometer and to say that that employees actually trust the voice of the employer 20% more than media or government, I feel there's a huge obligation for me as a leader to to make sure that I'm really careful about that voice. Yeah, you have to be careful about what you're saying, but then also know that people are waiting to hear from you. So you have to have the right way to be able to communicate with them quickly and efficiently. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. And that's why you know, organizations have that responsibility and that opportunity to build trust by informing their employees of kind of these critical life-saving information wherever they are, whether they're in the corporate office or they're remote. And actually, what's really fascinating to me is because that trust is there, it quickly extends beyond emergency communications. And, and we're starting to see how kind of employees are expecting organizations to act accordingly to their stated values. Look at how organizations have embraced extended parental leave or DEI initiatives or healthcare travel reimbursement. And so it's it, that trust and communication certainly extends beyond emergency situations, emergency comms to the relationship with the employee overall. On a different note, safety and security leaders are often tasked with creating a safety culture, but influencing company culture is no small feat. We're proud to say that we featured some incredible guests on the show who have cracked the case on enacting culture changes within their organizations. First up is the leader of physical security and business resilience at Zoom, Burke Brownfeld. Burke breaks down his secret sauce to being effective in his role. Spoiler alert, it's empathy. You know, if you're a security leader and you really want to be effective in your role, you could take a lot of these components of empathy and apply it into really a business context. And so the comfort zone for many security professionals is the traditional guns, gates, guards stuff. But I would argue if we take some of the same building blocks of empathy and say, okay, the business itself, what is the business's why? Why does this business even exist? What is this business fundamentally doing? You know, what is this business making? You know, and how are they convincing people to spend money on it and be loyal to that business? You know, if you're really, if you're protecting the business, you know, on a macro level, so that's not just protecting, say, a facility, but protecting a brand, protecting people, protecting travelers, uh, all those things, right? It starts to be crucially important to pause and ask, okay, why are we doing that? Those should be really natural questions for the security leader, because then suddenly you start to understand where you fit. And where you can actually be valuable to the business instead of what the natural thing is to do, which is just bring your set of skills and start throwing it at the business. Another skill that ignites a safety culture change is situational awareness. Brian Searcy, president of Paratus Group, a provider of organizational education and trainings, shares how situational awareness impacts physical security, mental health, and leadership. When you have really good and well-developed situation awareness, when you're perceptive, when you have thought through actions that you can take to help other people, when you have empathy and humility, 
when you see people that have indicators potentially of anxiety or depression, or you have somebody that maybe is having suicidal tendencies and you can recognize those, see, a, a lot of people see those things, but then they don't know what to do about it because they haven't empowered themselves to know what to do. And because they're not self-aware, they think, well, I can handle this when really maybe they should talk to somebody else to, to interact with that person. So that's one key part of it is our ability to really solve problems and keep and really help and affect the mental health piece. Today, three out of four employees in businesses in surveys have said that they have anxiety, depression, and fear, and that dramatically affects their job performance. So when people have situational awareness, when they can help other people, when they're prepared, instead of worrying, it dramatically improves their ability at the, the, and the overall culture of the company. And then the final thing that I always talk about, especially in the, in the business culture, is that without situational awareness, managers fail 100% of the time. What situational awareness and the development of these skills allow people to do is to not be managers, but to be leaders, to look for those learning opportunities, to realize what is important is to take care of their people, make sure their people have the necessary tools to be successful, and then help guide them to be successful. Companies are overmanaged and underled. When everybody in the organization understands situational awareness and then they practice it on a regular basis, we turn that upside down and the company is well-led and they manage processes and not people. One challenge safety and security leaders often face is leading up to executives so they respond appropriately in a crisis. Eric McNulty is the Associate Director of the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative at Harvard University, and he joined our show to share how to do just that. The folks in the C-suite don't just talk to the safety and security people when something bad has happened. They've started that conversation. They've started building that relationship much, much earlier. And that's something that professionals in, in safety and security can really do, can instigate. They can do it. We call it leading up. You could do that in part by finding out, you know, asking people questions is one, but, you know, and what decisions, Peter, do you want to make sure that you're the one making them? Should we have an incident at our facility? Hmm, let me think about that. Well, if we're going to close the facility, yeah, I, I want to be the one who makes that call. Great. What are you going to want to know in order to be able to make that decision? Mm. And what I'm doing now, when I'm, when I'm going through this process is, first of all, it's going to help me brief up to you when the bad thing happens. Because I can anticipate what, your, what decisions you're going to want to make. I can anticipate what information you're going to want to have. And I can come in and say, Peter, we've got A, B, and C. We're still working on, on taking care of D, E, and F. But I can have that where you're going to have faith in me and confidence in me. And we're not going to have to build that relationship on the fly. And you know, executives like to be known for making good decisions. When you talk to them about what decisions do you want to make? What are the ones that you want somebody else to make or you want to delegate? It, it helps them find a useful role in the process. It, find, it helps them situate themselves relative to what you're going to do. And that's, this is why it's so important to get executives to at least once a year go through a full-scale exercise of some sort. Because A, you want them to know what's going to happen. You want to take care of any questions or objections they have in that setting as opposed to a real incident. And you also want to find out if they're not very good in a crisis situation. If they're bad at it, you want to find it out early. And say, if you give them an important job to do, they will go do it. They feel included and they don't feel like you're, they're being left out of an important mission. For Ryan Long at McDonald's, the biggest impact on his ability to make change within his organization was a change he made within himself. 
Ryan successfully built the executive protection and intelligence function at McDonald's, where he now leads a program with enthusiastic executive support. I think the biggest misstep for me at the beginning was just my sense of identity. And what I mean by that is, I remember vividly thinking to myself that I'm a military intelligence professional. That's who I am. I was proud of that identity. I wanted to be known and seen as the military officer by others because for whatever reasons, I I thought that would benefit me. I thought that would be some sort of advantage in, in building this function. But the downside of that identity is I tried really hard to bring ideas, ways of working, what we call standard operating procedures, et cetera, over from the military thinking, oh, you know what, these are these are going to easily translate into the private sector. But what happened is, you know, I learned that not everything does. I ended up overcomplicating things and I ended up missing the mark on a few things as well. And so at some point, and I, I can't remember the exact moment, but I had this epiphany that I needed a different identity, if you will, but of course, without sort of changing who I was. And so I looked at people that I admired and I looked at people that I respected and I watched how others looked at them the same way. And I started identifying myself and shaping myself in a way where others saw me as a business professional and a business leader first, who also just happened to have this unique expertise in his back pocket that could really help the organization. And so that that shift in identity and that shift in mindset, I started seeing the difference because I started being more attuned to how others perceived me, how others interacted with me. And I just found myself having more success in terms of getting traction, you know, with the function because of that. I knew from the very beginning, I wanted to expand. And so I went through just a couple of mental exercises. One was this whiteboard exercise of listing out all the different services that I thought the the company could benefit from. And I think I had 20, 21 or 22 things. And as I went on this discovery process or this discovery journey, I got the feedback that they were really interested in about one or two of them. (laughs) So at at first, you know, I was a little bit discouraged, but I hearken back to the sort of collective mindset of people that worked in the company at the time. It was about being customer led. It was about having a, a great customer approach. And so what I told myself was, all right, I'm going to be completely customer driven, even though I know these other things, we we really do need them, but I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be customer driven. I'm going to deliver on what our customers want and what matters most to them with the idea that, you know, maybe I could build up this credibility bank if I delivered. And then later on, that would give me the opportunity because of that credibility to then bring in some of the other things and introduce some of the other things that I thought the company needed. Those are just a few of the tips and trends that were top of mind for our guests this year, many of which will likely continue to be priorities as we move into 2023. So we hope you enjoyed it. If you wanna learn more from a specific guest you heard today, check the show notes for a complete list of episodes featured. With that, Peter will be back on January 4th, 2023 with a brand new episode. Once again, I'm Katie Gowen, senior producer, and it's been my pleasure to host today's episode. From all of us at the Employee Safety Podcast, thank you for listening, and we hope you have a safe and healthy new year. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. Take care. 
Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.